My subject or theme is look unto the mountains. Psalms 121 and 1 and 2 says, I lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I feel like the psalmist was looking around Jerusalem. There's lots of hills in Jerusalem, Mary. I feel like the psalmist was looking around and, and thinking about when and where that God had helped him. Been there, been his help. I think it's good for us to do the same thing. And that's what I'm saying by looking to the hills. I think uh, if you're just a young preacher starting out, surely you can look back and especially see when you were saved and when God uh, uh, saved your soul, maybe saved your children. When God saved our soul, it's important in our life and uh, it's good to look back every once in a while and think upon what God has done for us. If you're called, really called into the ministry, you have something that you can look back to that's real. Now, I don't know about you. Some of you may have given in real quick. I didn't give in too quick. But uh, uh, he called me, but he just kept calling. And I kept putting it off, fighting the call. But I went to Rocky Mound one night, Rocky Mound Church, and there was a singing, and, and in that quartet, they sung two songs that I carried home with me. The Lord was showing me what He had done for me, and what He was going to do for me, and I wasn't doing nothing for Him. And I got in bed, and by the time I got in bed, it's like He said, it's either you preach or it's over. And I rolled out of that bed. On the floor on my knees, and by the time I hit my knees, I knew my prayer wasn't going to hit as high as my head. I'd been studying for a long time, and I had a Bible laying on a desk in the corner of that bedroom, and I got up and running. I run by that uh, desk, grabbed my Bible, and I run down the hall, and right at the end of the hall, the Lord said, you're ready now. And I was ready. From that day forward, when he said, go, I went, and he went with me. Amen. He went with me. He'll be with you. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to look back in your life and see when God's been with you. And if you've been on the road uh, very long in the ministry, it's good to look back into uh, your ministry and, and think about the times that uh, God has been with you and your ministry, special times that mean a great deal to you. And He'll encourage you uh, when you face other things in front of you. I moved to Ohio, 1974, to pastor Liberty Missionary Baptist Church. I got there and they had, I think it was six kids, one of them was mine, and 
And it wasn't too long till all of them got saved. My son, I come back to Tennessee to Rocky Mound to help in a revival, and he got saved at Rocky Mound. But those others got saved there at Liberty. There was no lost people to preach to. They had had preachers in front of me, like H.C. Vanderpool, Calvin Perigo. They were highly indoctrinated. They knew that the church was the bride of Christ. They knew Baptist doctrine inside and out. They were highly indoctrinated. But they had one real problem. They were absolutely afraid of outsiders. They wasn't reaching out to outsiders. They were, uh, they were actually cold to them when they'd come in. They were afraid of them. I got the minutes one day in uh, the church and I began reading. And in the early part of the church, they had a preacher. I think his elevator didn't run quite to the top. Because one of the deacons in the conference, one of the conferences made a motion that the pastor study parliamentary procedure before the next meeting. Can you imagine that? Well, they had some people that were giving trouble. And that went on. And it was, it was a mess. And they called Brother H.C. Vanderpool. And it was just like this. And when they called him, it was just like this. There's a difference. And they had good ones after him. But because of all those problems they had in the early days of the church, they were afraid to get in uh, some new members that would cause problems again, and they were afraid. And I preached to them, and I preached to them, and I preached to them. And it went on for about a year and a half, and I felt like I was just spinning my wheels. I was really low. I'd rented a farmhouse where I lived, there had been a large farm and they cut it all off for 12 acres. And I, uh, I made a path around that 12 acres for my kid to ride a little motorbike. And one day I went out there and started walking around that path and I was praying. I was really low. I mean, I was down there. I wasn't getting anywhere. And... I prayed and I prayed and I was just asking the Lord just send me anywhere just so, so they'll listen. And I got almost around and I could carry you and show you where I was at when the Lord spoke to me. Now he didn't speak with an audible voice but it was just as loud and clear as he had. He said, I want you right here until there's a church established in West Virginia. Boy, immediately, I felt good. I wasn't down anymore. I knew uh, what I was there for. And uh, I started telling that church 
Brother Jerry Reynolds was down there in West Virginia, about two hours and a half, I think, from, uh, from the church. That's the closest, and I think, that he uh, knew of when he got down there doing mission work, and he came up there and joined that church. And I began to tell them uh, what they need to do to help Brother Reynolds, that they need to extend an arm down there, and they need to get him a building. And I began to work with them, and everything I tell them, they would do it. Was no problem at all. They just did it. And uh, 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 Brother Reynolds, I told him, went down, told him what uh, uh, the church was going to do and explained to him. And so uh, I, I didn't know that it wouldn't be for 20 years, but I was just on high. I was all away because I was doing now something that was making sense and the church was listening. I felt good. But I didn't know it wouldn't be for 20 years and I was feeling good. What I didn't know... I knew Brother Reynolds was preaching a lot in different places. I didn't know he had a following. And when we got that building down there, he already had a following. Already had people in his mission. Six months, we had a church established in West Virginia. Well, the Lord said, I want you here till the church established down there. So I knew it was time to go. And I came back to Tennessee. But listen... You need to look back in your ministry when the Lord, when you was low and the Lord come in and He helped you, lifted you up. It's good to look under the hills, to look back there. I remember a revival, one of the best that I was ever in, or ever seen. New sign down in Macon County. Just outside of the fat. I'd been called there to help in a revival, and there's two children saved one, I think, on Monday night and one Tuesday night. And then from that night, Tuesday night, the rest of the week, it was just as cold as cold could be. I mean, it was cold. I believe it's Sunday morning, the Lord said, he spoke to me again, loud and clear. He said, that meeting is going to break out. Well, I wasn't there on Sunday morning. I was pastoring Maple Grove up there, and I went to Maple Grove and preached Sunday morning. I went back there Sunday night, and the pastor and myself were coming in the back door at the same time, and he thought that meeting ought to be uh, to break, and... Uh, I could understand why I thought that, but the Lord told me it was going to break out. And I said, we better wait and see how this goes. It's my night to preach, and I began preaching on the knowledge of salvation. I was telling those people what they had, what it meant to them now, and what it meant to them beyond here. And I'd been preaching about 10 minutes, and they began to shouting. And when I say they began to shout in, it was the whole house. Everybody, I believe, in the house was uh, rejoicing except the lost souls. I mean, they were rejoicing all over that house. Uh, just, you've never seen nothing like it. And it didn't stop in a few minutes. It went on for two hours. Everybody rejoicing, having a great time in the Lord. How could you forget a thing like that? We went on the next, to the next week, and it's 13 saved. Listen, 
It's good to look back and see when and where the Lord's been with you. It'll help you when you face the next problem. You ever had the Lord to tell you to not go somewhere? I've had the Lord to tell me twice to not go. I'd been to Ghana every year for 16 years. And I thought I'd go again. We usually go in October because you get by the rainy season. And uh, I never had any idea in what I'd go because I knew the Lord had been wanting me there. And I went and we saw... Uh, lots of people saved over the years, and I enjoyed going, and i looking forward to going again. I never thought uh, anything about that. But about July, uh, the Lord said, Don't go to Ghana this year! Wasn't that loud? Was that plain? I didn't understand that at all. I couldn't understand it. But I knew the Lord's voice, and I knew He said, don't go. And so when a time uh, for them to go, my friends went on. Uh, but uh, while they were over there, my wife was in a Vanderbilt hospital having heart surgery, bypass surgery. Listen. Listen to the Lord. Uh, when He says, go, go. If He ever says, don't go, don't go. He knows what's ahead and you don't. I was pastoring Lafayette down in Macon County. There's a young man came to me and he said, Brother Don, he said, I've got a friend. His name's Charlie. He's dying with cancer and he's in Lebanon in the hospital. He said, would you go talk to him? And I said, I sure will. I went to Lebanon, went to the hospital, and went in to talk to Charlie. And I talked to Charlie, talked to him about the Lord, talked to him about getting saved, and we'd pray. And I'd talk to him. We'd pray, and we'd, I'd talk to him. We'd pray, and I'd talk to him. This went on for a good while, and I felt like I needed to go. And the Lord lets you know that too. And I went out and left Charlie. And I walked down the hall, big old tears was rolling off of my face and dropping on the floor. And I talking to myself and I said, I'm coming back here every day until Charlie gets saved or he dies, one or the other. Next morning I got up, I was fixing to go see Charlie. And the Lord said, don't go. I knew the Lord's voice. He said, don't go. And I didn't go. I didn't understand it at all. Couldn't understand it. Next morning I got up and it's full speed ahead. I left and I went to to see Charlie. And I walked through the door, walked up to Charlie's bed, and he said, Brother Don, the Lord saved me yesterday. <laughs> he needed time, just him and the Lord. I didn't know that, but friends, the Lord knew it. Totally died, but he didn't die without the Lord. Listen, you need to 
Look into the hills. You need to look back there. Look at the times that the Lord spoke to you and it works. He knows and you don't. Let Him lead you. Let Him guide you in all things and He will be with you. That's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing to know the Lord and to know His voice. I want to look at some hills in the Bible. First Kings chapter 20. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, besieged Samaria. And he had a great army, multitudes. God spoke to the prophet and told him to tell Ahab, the king of Israel. He said, I'm going to give you the victory over this great army. Ahab said to the prophet, how will this be? He said, the princes of the provinces. There was just 232. And then there would be 7,000 Israelites following. But there were great multitudes, thousands and thousands of them. of these, not thousands and thousands, but lots and lots of them. They filled that whole countryside in them hills. And they went out there in the battle raged. And that little band, little army, just slaughtered them. Slaughtered them. And they fled. They went back to... They went back to Syria. Then hey, dads, people about him came, and they told him, he said, what you need to do is you need to get you another army together just like you had, and next year you go up against them, and you go up against them in the valleys, and their God is God of the hills, and he's not God of the valleys. So he got his army together, just like before. And they came. Israel's little army met them in the valley, and it was just like before. They slaughtered a hundred thousand, that little army. And the rest of them fled again back into Syria. And when it got back into Syria, there was a wall fell on 27,000 of them. Listen, brethren, don't limit God. He's God of the hills and he's God of the valleys. I've preached on that subject not in a long time, but I've preached on that subject. I remember preaching on it years ago. And I thought somebody ought to write a song like that. <laughs> yeah. Me and my wife was going up to Gatlinburg. 
We got up there where you get off the interstate and you go around a long curve and we was listening to gospel music out of Knoxville and the McCamish come on singing God on the mountain. God of the day, God of the night, God of the good times, and God of the bad. When you're having a hard time, look back there to those hills, what God did for them people. He is God of the hills and He's God of the valleys. The good times, the bad, the day and the night. He's God. He can help you. He can help you in everything. And He will in everything He asks you to do. You just be willing. And you seek His guidance in what you do. And He'll be with you. And He'll bless you. And you'll have many good times in your ministry in your life that you can look back to. Uh, many wonderful times. There's been many wonderful times uh, that I didn't know what was going on, but I knew what God was telling me. And eventually, I'd still figure out, yeah, now I understand. Listen, you wait on God. Wait till it's his time. If he says go now, you go. If he says tarry, tarry. You do it the way the Lord says do it, and it'll be right. I'd like for us to look at another hill in the Bible, Mount Sinai. You know, Moses went up there and God gave him the commandments. He gave him the law. Do you realize how important that mountain is? Do you realize how important the law of God is? We are not saved by the works of the law and all of us have preached it. We're saved by grace through faith, not by the works of the law. But brethren, you couldn't have been saved without it. You wouldn't have known you was a sinner without it. You couldn't be saved without knowing you're a sinner. You couldn't repent of your sin without knowing you had sin. You wouldn't need a Savior. Because you wouldn't know you as a sinner without the law. But it's like the apostle said, I was alive once without the law, but the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. That's the way it works when we hear the law of God and we realize that we're sin and uh, we hear the penalty of the law. Boy, it wakes us up, don't it? We know what we are and where we're going. Then we need a Savior. We need to preach sin. You know there's people who think they don't sin. And that's not what the Bible is. John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth's not in us. Boy, isn't that strong? have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. 
You know what? It's your job as a preacher. You can't preach Jesus without preaching about sin. Telling people that they have sinned. You got to give them, uh, tell them about sin and about hell. They got to have a reason to need a Savior before they will seek Him. Boy, that's an important mountain. We don't need to forget how important it is. I want to take you to Moriah. Moriah is that hill there in Jerusalem where Solomon built a temple. Abraham promised, or God promised Abraham that boy, Isaac. And when Isaac was just a boy, God said to Abraham, Abraham, take Isaac to Moriah and there offer him as a sacrifice unto me. I feel like the Lord wanted me to use this to make you realize what God gave us. You see, it seems like an awful thing that God asked Abraham to do to give his son. Uh, and so, but Abraham uh, was full of faith and he carried Isaac out there. And when he got near, he told his servants to tarry. Him and the lad would go and they'd like offer a sacrifice and he'd come back. And they went up there and he bound uh, Isaac, built an altar and put wood on it and bound Isaac and laid him on that wood. And had the knife ready, and the angel stopped him. He was fixing to take his life. He believed he'd come back down, though, with him. He believed that God took him, he'd raise him from the dead, because he'd promised things through that son. Abraham was a man of faith. But think about it. Wasn't that a great deal uh, to ask Abraham uh, to sacrifice his son? Boy, when it comes home and you think about your son, it's a great deal, isn't it? He asked Abraham a great deal. It was a great deal just asking Abraham. I had a neighbor attending church at Rocky Mountain where I attended years ago and uh, where I was ordained. Had a neighbor that lived up the road. I come in from work one day. My wife said the military was up there at Brother Melvin's house. And he had a son in Vietnam in the war. And we figured they were telling him that he'd lost a son in Vietnam. And sure enough, we were right. He'd lost his son in Vietnam. It was a warm time, and that night there's, there's lots of people gathered in his house and out in the yard. There were so many of them, and we mourned 
They were mourning over their lost son, and we were mourning with them. But listen, God loved his son. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac on that hill, Mount Moriah. But God was willing to sacrifice his right across the way in the hill called Calvary. They treated Jesus awful. When he began his ministry, they treat him bad. He went everywhere doing good. Raised some dead, made the blind to see, the lame to walk. He healed lots and lots and lots of people, and they could see the good he was doing, and they still, they were jealous of him, I think. They weren't going to have nothing to do with him. And they treated him awful. They treated him awful. All three and a half years of his ministry, they treated him awful. But after three and a half years, it was time. It was time. He was in the garden of Gethsemane and he had prayed three times with the Father. Father, be thy will, take this cup from me. If not, thy will be done. The Father loved him. But he loved us. There was no other way for him to save us without this. He loved us. But he loved his son. When Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan, God the Father spoke out from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He loved His Son like Melvin loved His Son and was mourning. He loved His Son like that. He loved His Son like Abraham. I loved His Son. And like you and I, I love our Son. But He gave Him. He was sacrificed at Calvary. They came. And got him like he was a carman of criminal swords and staves. Carried him before the high priest. They blindfold him, smack him around. Who was it that prophesied it was that smote you? And he wouldn't say anything. Wouldn't defend himself. He was going to go on. The scripture says they buffed him. That means, and it says they, not one of them, but they. All of these people were beating him up with their fists. Old Testament, they plucked his beard. They spit on him. Then they carried him, they went before Pilate, and Pilate said he just washed his hands of the whole things, washed his hands before the people, but then he scourged him. Do you know what a scourge is? It's, it's a handle about this long, and there's straps of leather on that, and on the end of those straps, there's bones and, 
and metal tied. And when they beat him, he took out flesh. He was already bleeding bad shape before he got to Calvary. This was God's son. He could send those legions of angels any time. Uh, but uh, he loved his son. He was beloved by God Almighty. But he loved us too. And the only way was for Jesus to go the rest of the way. They had him take his cross, but he fell under it. And some of the men, Simon Cyrene, to carry his cross. He wasn't able to carry it. He carried it up to Calvary's hill. They nailed him to that cross up there between two thieves. In that uh, terrible place, in that terrible condition, under that terrible pain, he saved an old sinner. He loves sinners. It's what we all are. Sinners saved by grace now. He bled and he died. He gave up the ghost. Men standing by said, Surely this is the Son of God. It got dark and there's an earthquake. That old curtain between the holies of holies down to the temple that rent, signifying that the way into heaven was made. Yeah, he made a way into the holies of holies in the heavenly country. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that's what he is. I heard of a preacher supposed to be one of us. Preached that Jesus didn't die for everybody. <laughs> yes, he did. Amen. <laughs> He died for them all, but they all won't turn to him. But all of them could. Everybody that ever lived could turn to Jesus and get saved. If they, I would recognize himself as a sinner, dying and going to hell, humble themselves before him and trust him to save them, they could be saved and go to heaven. They buried Jesus and laid him in a new tomb. I believe I've seen it. There's one not far from Calvary. The rock's not there today, but it's hewed out into bluff rock. And right out here in front, there's a trench about so wide where there would have been rock about this high round rock that they roll in front of that. He told them that he was going to die. He told them that he'd be raised the third day and friends, he was. They really didn't believe it after they told him. They was having some doubts about it. They shouldn't have doubted. I like that song because Jesus said so. He came out of there when he said he would. 
We got scripture where he's on the road to Emmaus with two brethren. He appeared to the disciples. And above 500 brethren at one time after his resurrection. He told his disciples to meet him up in Galilee where he had appointed them. See, Brother David, I got a little to say about the church today. <laughs> Up there on a hill, about the same height as Calvary, right to the left of that hill. Horns of Hatton, the mountain that goes up, the horns of Hatton, he went up in there and prayed. <laughs> but it's a high mountain. But he came down from there and he planed off like that above the Sea of Galilee. And right up there, right up there, he set the apostles into the church. He organized his church. Now you can believe what you want to, but I believe he had a church before he got there. But he organized it that day right there on the mountain. He organized it to operate after, after that he is gone and wasn't with them in the flesh. And so he did more than that right there. He commissioned them at the same place of the church to go into all the world. Brethren, it's real. We still have that commission today. Now, I want to tell you something about the church that you may not have thought about. Did you know if Jesus hadn't established his church, if he hadn't commissioned it to go into all the world, that you'd be lost in your sins today? You'd have never heard you was a sinner. You'd have never heard about Jesus. How can they believe in them who they haven't heard? The job of the Lord's church is to get out there and tell people about Jesus and what he's done for us. I'll tell you what. You can't put no value on a church. This old church has been here a long time. There's no telling how many have been saved through the gospel preached right here at this church. And there may have been a lot of others who saved outside the church where the church went out and witnessed to them one on one. But the church is still in the world and it still uh, has the obligation to the Lord God Almighty uh, to carry uh, this gospel to the world. Brethren, you can't go all over the world, but you can go to your part of it. The Lord will point you in a direction where uh, you can take up, uh, uh, take up your work where He wants you to go. And by everybody, uh, everybody doing their work, everybody going where the Lord says go. I'm telling you, where the Lord says go, we can take it to a lost and dying people. 
I've heard sermons over the years as like as things are too bad. Too bad, so bad. And I can't do nothing anymore. That's foolishness. If you will listen to the Lord and you will go and you will do what He tells you, you'll preach of what He gives you to preach of from His Word. It will have its effect. You see, it's not just you. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Now some believe that God just gives you faith at the point that you get saved. I don't believe that at all. I believe that the gospel is the power in God unto salvation. Paul said our gospel come not to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost. Here is what happens. How when the gospel is preached and when it is witnessed, the Holy Spirit makes it real to people. And that's how they become a believer. The Holy Spirit makes it real. And they become a believer. If He doesn't make it real, they never will be. But He can make it real. Make it real. And He does. He does. I'm telling you, We serve a wonderful God, our Father in heavenly country, heavenly country. I want to take you to the Mount of Olives. I've been on the Mount of Olives. I've been all over that country. I was over there, you know. And Mount of Olives... When you come over, you get to where it starts down, you're just looking right down on Jerusalem like that. Jesus and the multitude of disciples with him when he's making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And boy, I'm jealous. I would have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? When he made that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, I'd have loved to have been there. He told his disciples to go get that coat, and they went and got it, and they brought it back and put him on it, and... and <laughs> He's fulfilling prophecy. But the king was coming. He made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and all of them were shouting and praising, except some Pharisees were sitting there. They were having a good time because they knew who Jesus was. To, him, to them that was with him, he was the king of the Jew, circumcised at heart. Oh, yes. But the Pharisee said, quieting them down. And he said, if they hush, the rocks will cry out my name. The stones will cry out my name. I'll tell you, I wasn't there that day. But there's a place I sometimes refer to as hills of glory. Oh, yes. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a resurrection of everybody. Going to be a great judgment, and everybody from uh, from Adam to that day that's been born again, they're going to take a heavenly flight with the Christ Jesus to heavenly country. 
Yeah, and that's, that's the father's house, that city of gold. And like David said, Jesus said, then there's many mansions, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I kind of figured up in my head, I don't know how close I am, but uh, if, uh, if, if you figure that place, it's 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles tall. It's a cube. If every room was like a cube, a mile cube, did you know, best I could figure it, my head sitting over there, it'd be about a, a billion and a half rooms. But Brother David, there's going to be a great big place in there somewhere where everybody can meet around the throne. And then there's going to be another great big room that Jesus wants to prepare for his bride. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we're going to live there with the Lord one day after a while. I want to carry it on for a minute or two and my time's out. But uh, uh, ain't no... Funeral homes there, there ain't no cemeteries. They don't die. There'll be some doctors there, but they'll be retired. Won't be no sickness. Be some funeral directors there, but won't be no funerals. God's gonna wipe every tear from every eye, he said. We will be there. Everything's gonna be just perfect. Now, I told you about that church and all those people shouting, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's going to be old, cold Christians that's warmed up on the streets of glory, and they'll be shouting up down there. What a wonderful time we're going to have one day after a while. I'm looking forward for us all to go take a heavenly flight to a heavenly country. May God bless you.